0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Be willing to fail, but have humility. It's kind of the blend of humility and courage. If you have humility, then you'll take courageous risks that will be surrounded by wisdom. Because you'll be listening to others and everything else. I had courage minus humility. It was just ego-driven, and I could have saved myself a lot of pain.
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host Chandler Vinoy
2: here with my co-host Dan Eiten. Hey, and excited today we've got with us pastor and author Spence Shelton. Uh, Spence is currently the lead pastor of Mercy Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a church planted out of the Summit Collaboration uh, back in 2015. Spence, excited to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at Mercy Church. Oh man, thanks so much guys. Really love what you're doing and hope that I can just help, man. I
1: love it. So, yeah we planted in 2015 like you said man the lord's been just really gracious and kind and i hope to be able to share a little bit of um what me and some of our pastors lovingly call uh, the dumb tax that we have paid uh, just all <laughs> the mistakes that we have made and everything to maybe help to get, help some uh, leaders out so they don't do the same thing and then they'll share theirs with you know the next folks that come after them but yeah we are now uh sitting here right coming up on our eighth birthday and it's pretty cool to move from church plant to a planted church kind of Mm. seen some things, even seen a couple of like what what I would say the first full life cycle of the church and now trying to figure out how we even only at eight years old, make sure we stay locked into the mission, which is a whole different leadership challenge than it was when we uh, first planted. But the Lord's been good. A lot of people have come to know Christ. We've sent people out on the mission field. We are, you know, just trying to do that work of making disciples and we have been very blessed in the process of it.
0: Well, well, Spence, before we get into the questions here, I just, are you a Panthers fan
1: being Charlotte? Alright, man. So, you know, a good missionary goes into his context and just becomes one among the people. And so, yes, I'm a Panthers fan. I'm a Hornets fan. I'm a CFC fan, which is our new MLS team that's in yeah. the city. And I'll be honest, out of all of them, now, I, I love uh, my boys and I love going to Hornets basketball games. But I'll tell you, man, going to a, um, a Charlotte football club, the MLS game, yeah. it is the best atmosphere out of all of them. I mean it is standing the whole time, they are chanting the whole time, banging the drums the whole time. There it's an awesome atmosphere and uh, we got a great uh, it's a new fan base but it's a great fan base. It's just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And it, maybe you can go get tickets to see Messi play if Miami comes. That's a pretty cool. Listen thing dude,
1: now. it took all of about 30 seconds for those tickets to be sold out. <laughs> oh uh, no, sure, It ever. really <laughs> I, I was I went looking. I was like, "Oh, there's rumors Messi's going." I went looking at the Rumors, man. The whole thing was wow. sold out, and the tickets are about ten times a normal ticket. We've sold out <laughs> upper and lower, so typically we will have about I think it's thirty thousand fans, and already sixty thousand tickets are sold for this game. It's like forget wow. about it. It's wow. a packed house. So wow.
0: <laughs> well, maybe maybe you can get a ticket. We'll see.
1: Well, yeah, let's let's am, let, you you'll a... see it. You'll see it on my social media. So oh, for, for sure. sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's hop into the questions here. Maybe we'll come back to Messi the pan. There's all that there fun stuff, but you know, Spence, as, as we we're talking, even before we hit record church planting is, is not easy. And some people can look at mercy church and where you guys are and go, man, we want to be where mercy church is. I would love to lead a church like Spence is leading right now, but man, they have no clue what, what you all have been through as a team, uh, probably as a family yeah. and all the different leadership roles you've been in. So man, just walk us through, man, an overview of the different leadership roles
1: you've been in over the years that led you to where you yeah. are today. Yeah, sure. So, um, man, I appreciate that question. I started out as a small groups director. When I say I started out, I mean, in the church world, I actually was in uh, sales management for a couple of years before deciding coming out of college before deciding to go into ministry. And when I went into ministry, I had no idea what I was doing. I went to seminary and I just went to my church and said, Hey guys, yeah, they knew they were a part of this whole process with me. Um, I'm going into ministry. Can I just like intern or something? And so they paid me enough to not even enough to get you know from church and back gas wise but they gave me a seat just to sit and learn and then I uh, kind of became the small groups sort of director we were a young growing church at the time and so some more help was needed but we couldn't really afford to pay for it and so uh seminary intern perfect fit for that kind of thing and in their their kindness they let me kind of be a part of that so that was at a church now called the summit church up in raleigh durham and i was the small groups director. Director there, really, was kind of called me the small groups guy because I, uh, <laughs> I had done some Bible studies at UNC where I'd gone to school and they were like, I'll never forget it. Hey, man, you can do just do that here. We're going to try small groups, you know? And then I went from there, I kind of stayed in that role for a few years. Um, I'll talk a little bit more, I think, about some of the things I learned there and how God really called me into ministry because I didn't know that I was going to stay in that. I thought I was actually going to go overseas mm-hmm. on the mission field. But I went from that into more of a broad pastor of spiritual formation kind of role where that was both groups and other discipleship. It's a way of saying discipleship pastor kind of thing. And I stayed in that role for several years and it was about 10 years total where I was serving as a pastor underneath our lead pastor and leadership team, growing and learning. And then 2015, when I was about 32 years old, that's when we actually went out and planted. So there was a 10 year 9 year period, 19 10-year period where I was just learning, getting both my education and trying to figure out how to do this thing and how to understand my giftings in ministry and calling and everything else. Um, so it was not a, hey, you know, you know what, I think I'm ready to do this. Let's do it the next year kind of thing. It was really 10 years that the Lord, and I, I'm probably a late bloomer in all the areas of life um, as I think back on my journey. But so, you know, I'm a little bit stubborn. It takes me a long time to figure out what God's doing. And, um, but man, so I just say to those that are listening, you do not have to try and microwave something that the Lord is baking, you know, slow cooking. So that would be my, um, that's my experience. And I'm very grateful now that I had all of that before I jumped into this role as a lead pastor. My goodness.
2: Yeah. Spence, it was interesting. You said that before you went into the church world, that you were in kind of the business world before that. Um, yep. how, how do you feel like that helped you in your ministry moving forward? Because I know for for me, I worked in politics actually before I went into church world. The guy who I led uh, a church with, John McGowan at Restoration City, who uh, we know well together with Spence, yep. he also works in, you know, out of ministry before, and we both thought that it was an important skill to have even before coming into ministry. Had, did you see that benefit you? Oh, for sure. Uh, that was a,
1: a massive benefit to me for I'd say two or three reasons. And now you can hear me talking like a pastor. I have two or three points. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't always this way. Uh, now it's just, just like programmed in there, man. Do they start with the same letter? The points. They That's also, what I <laughs> give me. Just a minute, I can, I can, I can, I can, I'll never Yeah, <laughs> my alliteration class in uh, seminary taught me all no. that. No, um, you know, one of one of the things is the experience of someone who's in the nine-to-five career world. I and mean, it's not even really nine-to-five, I mean, especially if you're in a place like you were, Dan, in D.C. Uh, and that's say, the same as here in Charlotte. A lot of times, way more than a 40-hour work week we're talking about. But being able to experience that actually had the um, I'm going to call it the privilege now because of how, how it helped me understand people. I worked in a cubicle, you know, mm-hmm. and you work in a cubicle for a couple years and you get a whole lot of sympathy for folks that work in a cubicle. And that's like it's mm-hmm. yeah. I say cubicle because whenever sitcoms. You know, the TV shows like The Office, they try to figure out ways to make fun of that cubicle life. You know what I mean? Um, And if you know it, it makes it relatable. You have a great appreciation for how tired someone can be uh, just at the end of their work day, which matters because everything we're doing in ministry, if we're asking someone to come to a meeting at the church, man, they just worked a whole day. You know what I mean? Uh, So helping to reprogram the way we think about ministry, not as come to the church, but how can I equip you for where you are? there in that cubicle that was a really valuable experience and here I am I mean over a decade removed from that um, all, you know 15 years removed from that but man still so powerful to me for uh, just trying as best I can to under- understand the experience of someone and the weight of someone who's um, we' who got their first job I should say and you know now in the role that I am the corresponding thing to like leading a business is probably probably pretty different different than leaving the church but some similarities but definitely in those early days man that um, middle management kind of role and all the weight that comes with that, all the stress that comes with that, and I think it's really helped me to not only know the experience, but also think well through the programming of our church and how are we equipping the saints for ministry where they are. And give me a lot of compassion when people come in and they just have had a hard week. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, You know, we had sales quotas we had to hit, and if we didn't hit them, man, it was tough. And when we did, we're on cloud nine. Like, that that life is real. And so, I draw on that um, a lot And also for just a level of professionalism that I want to bring to our ministry, not for the sake of looking polished, but this is the life people live and they live professional lives. And I want them to feel like they can trust their church. And there's a a level of professionalism that communicates trust. And I learned that um, in the business world
2: as well. That's great. Uh, and, and super helpful. Uh, I felt like for me in my ministry as well, just to, again, kind of put yourself in that space of somebody who's coming to a meeting at seven o'clock where they're just finished a yeah. crazy work day. Mo- moving on to our next question for you. Can you tell us just about a pivotal moment that you look back on that has changed your leadership in your life? Probably the biggest one happened in a Quiznos okay <laughs> so you know
1: that this is the the this Lord. episode is sponsored by, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: do they oh, still man. exist <laughs> exactly I was going to ask the same question <laughs> if never so mind. I would <laughs> like uh, this is the best publicity they've gotten in a while um, this is how you know that it was from the Lord otherwise you don't remember anything that ever happened <laughs> so anyways we're sitting there at the end of one of those um, semesters of the internship at the Summit Church I was working at and I'll never forget it I this the associate pastor Rick Langston sitting there with me and he said um, after you know two years of me doing this I'm finishing up seminary and I'm about to go overseas my wife and I are about to go overseas but to serve as missionaries for about a two to three year stint." and he says to me he says, Spence you know we've um, watched you work we love it love what you're doing we see a real teaching gift and like a uh, kind of a coaching gift which matched up with what I've experienced in other areas even dating all the way back to high school and kind of leading a soccer team and be in that center back kind of coaching role, leading the field. Um, and by the way, a guy like Rick, an older guy, being able to see your giftings and call it out in you—oh my gosh, yeah. priceless! And I would, I just, I would tell any young leader, man, go after, find a relationship where there's somebody who's got some experience and will call that out in you. Anyways, mm-hmm. Rick says, um, he says, man, what about instead of you going to the field? You come work at the church as our small groups, discipleship guy, and you send a hundred people in your place. And I was like, man, it was just one of those moments where, I mean, I can quote it to you like that because the Lord just pierced right down to my heart and my soul. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be a part of equipping a whole lot of people to calling them up, equipping them, and sending them to the mission field. Now, the coolest thing is, um, by God's grace, over my 10 years, at, so that began my 10 years as a pastor there at the summit. And by the time I went to go Plant, we had sent something like 250 people to go live full time on the mission field. That wasn't wow. just me, of course, but the Lord let me see the answer to that prayer and calling on that season of my life. And even as we went to Plant Mercy, the reason we went to Charlotte is because I just, I believe that the Lord, that that calling was still on me to raise up people to go to the mission field. And I believe Charlotte should be a sending hub for the gospel. And that's why we came here to plant, to cultivate that sending hub.
0: I just want to emphasize again, I feel like we've heard on this podcast before leaders calling leadership out in a younger leader and Spence, you've probably done that for others now that you've moved on in your leadership. there's probably still people speaking into your life, but for those listening, man, that is to be able to have somebody in your life mentor further ahead, to be able to call that out, see things in you. It redirects your life and you look back on it and you go, man, that was I mean, it shifted where you were going to be, your career, and uh, right. so much, so important. And uh, that's other right. important note here: 149 Quiznos left. If anybody was wondering, they're still <laughs> They were acquired. 149 <laughs> left. They're, they're on a the down trip. Oh man, that's yeah. great. That's um, great. Um, but Space, I want to I want to go back to um, you know we've we've talked a lot about young your young days at Summit. But, I mean, you guys planted mercy in 2015 and just just her coming up on eight years. And, you know, I I, I know some of y'all's pastors there and I know your alls story. And it's the Lord has really blessed your alls ministry. You guys yeah. uh, are continuing that sending, as you were talking about at the summit. The Lord's bringing people to mercy, and, uh, to himself through mercy. And there's just a lot of great things going there. So you talked about, you know planting mercy but there is a lot of growth in the midst of that to go from church being planted to a planted church so just take us i mean i I know this is a this could be a whole podcast in and of itself i would love to hear man what are what are you learning from moving from that startup stage to Mm -hmm. planted church and even some of the leadership lessons that you're seeing in your own life
1: Man, so one of the the big ones that hit early on and has like continued to, it's stayed with me. It's the same lesson, but it's kind of, maybe it's gone deeper and deeper into me and into my character formation and leadership character formation. But that's it, man, the more... I have to take my hands off of more and more things and trust the people that God has called into uh, leading alongside of me, leading with me, leading under my leadership. That's hard because when you plant it, it's your baby. You're the one doing it you're the one calling people up and going hey you want to go I mean I'll never forget my first uh, recruiting meeting of hey you want to come with us I was like hey listen we got six people coming uh, myself my wife my four kids and we are excited (laughs) about adding to that team you know (laughs) the team is you know we're going and we're nervous and so it's it's your it's your baby and so it's easy to grip that thing really tight it's your vision and actually good leadership when you're planting is it's your job to keep you keep everybody focused Focused on that vision, right? And so you kind of feel a little bit of a tight grip, but you have to release people. You are, according to Ephesians 4, your job is to equip the saints for ministry. And man, if you try and like control the saints instead of equip mm-hmm. the saints, that vision's never going to become a reality. So I I have increasingly had to release ministry to the saints and trust God. And this is a, by the way, this is a hard lesson. Like I'm not great at this. I didn't just like happen one time and I'm good. This is over and over. The biggest one for me actually came, um, it came in waves. Another wave was we started adding more and more staff. And as we added more staff to our team and then we added staff over those staff. And so now mm-hmm. I'm a few layers removed even from the the staff. Now I don't I, I still meet all the time with the people in our church just because I want to be a good shepherd. But man, uh, staff are leading ministries and I got to keep my fingers out of what they're doing or they're going to feel like they're being micromanaged and they can't lead and young leaders can't be developed if old leaders are gripping their ministry. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I got to keep my hands back and just be more of a resource for them. That's really hard. Um, The spot that was the hardest for me was last uh, year, 2022. I took a uh, we had hit our seven year mark and our elders uh, encouraged me to take a a and I took a four month sabbatical where, I mean, all hands were off. I got a burner phone. I shut down all my accounts. I had no access to anything. It was glorious. I had six numbers. You can open up my contacts and there's no scrolling. It's just, those are the numbers. You know what I mean? (laughs) And those are the numbers who had me. It was the best thing ever. But man, what a huge, it took eight weeks, eight weeks through sabbaticals and the breakthrough happened of realizing how much I still had this sense of desire to control the ministry instead of leaving that in the Lord's hands. And so the first eight weeks were terrible. And then after uh, about week eight, when that breakthrough happened, man, the next eight weeks were beautiful because the Lord quieted my heart and filled my tank because my hands weren't on his bride, you know, I had released that, and it was um, it was a powerful thing. So, anyways, I think that's the biggest lesson is increasingly not I'm not releasing responsibility. At the end of the day, buck stops at the lead pastor who's responsible to God, but or the lead pastor and the elders. But in terms of the staff and everything else, so to release ministry while retaining responsibility in a sense of hey, this is still bucks off to me. Ooh, man, what a uh, What a thing I'm learning. Uh, It's a hard lesson. It's the same lesson over and over, and I'm sure I still have a whole lot to learn in it, but that's been the biggest one and the one I would encourage guys is empower your people, equip them and release them for ministry don't try and micromanage them and control them.
0: Man, that's so important.
1: Well, let's go back to young
0: Spence days and think about some of the mistakes that you made along the way. What was your biggest mistake getting started as a leader?
1: Oh man. All right. So let's think about, um, I like to think back on my, um, time leading our small groups ministry at the summit church. Cause I'm in my mid twenties at that time. And Here's what I'll tell you. When I had no experience, it was, uh, I was, I was okay because I was just like listening to everything. I was really teachable. A Mm. little bit of experience is way worse than no experience. (laughs) A little bit of experience is way more dangerous than no experience Mm. because you get a little bit of experience and you're like, Oh, I know what's going on. Like I know how to do this. I have an idea and I've seen it proven just a little bit. Watch out, world. 25-year-old Spence has got the whole thing figured out. Here we go. Finally, some, the Lord has brought someone who will teach the world how to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Finally. Um, and finally, he's been waiting all this time. There was Jesus, Paul, and now Spence has come along. We're very excited that he's here. A little bit of experience can be dangerous. And so what happened was I built a small group structure, cool idea, everything else and it totally failed. And uh, I had very gracious um, a gracious lead pastor and uh, Rick, the guy I told you about, alongside of JD, our lead pastor, they were super gracious. So like, hey man, just try again next semester. And so we tried again and uh, I failed again. And I broke the ministry three times before we finally built something that actually worked. And there was some, you know, some like a lot of apologizing to leaders and a lot of humbling that took place just in the form of, yeah, that didn't work. No, that didn't work either. What is this guy doing over here? Um, At one point, we had like some elders over uh, who were doing something, I don't know. And then we had small group coaches who were actually discipling the people in the church but they weren't like trained it all. I was just like, you'd probably be good at that. And a lot of ministry is that way. You're just kind of guessing. But man, I just there were some basics. I should have been asking questions and listening, but I had a little bit of experience and a lot of ego. I was like, let's go do it. So that was my biggest mistake was having just like one idea and assuming because I had a little bit of experience and a good idea that everything was going to work. You know what I mean? And um, it did not. <laughs> and so uh, now I'm very, very very grateful uh, to those guys who just gave me a fourth chance You know, who kind of let me fail. And this would be a word to um, maybe to young leaders would be, be willing to um, fail. Cause if you don't, if you're not willing to fail, you're not going to risk anything. And you're just going to kind of go ho, hum. People need vision and vision is a, a risk. So be willing to fail but, man, have have humility. It's kind of the blend of humility and courage. If you have humility, then you'll take courageous risks that'll be um, surrounded by wisdom. because you'll be listening to others and everything else. I had courage
2: minus humility,
1: and therefore uh, was just ego driven
2: and uh, was I could have saved myself a lot of pain. What also shows the importance too, of of having leaders that are are willing to let younger people fail and, and start over again yes. and it's a reminder for us as we grow in our leadership to show grace to others with that as well.
1: Yeah. So I would say those young leaders, be grateful for if you have that, man, be grateful for that. do we push be careful of how much you push them, those leaders who are allowing you that like a uh, ministry space to mm-hmm. fail. And you start pushing that leaders and feel like you're entitled to more and more and more. But hey man, they're giving you space to learn. Again, it's that little bit of experience makes you think oh, i'm ready for everything this i just learned again paying the dumb tax for you man be grateful for the space you have the way i'm one of our pastors scott the chandler knows oh yeah he always likes to say bloom where you are planted you bloom where you're planted, and the Lord will then um, add to your ministry however He sees fit.
2: You you stay right where you are and do what God's called you to do, and be humble with it. One one question we love to ask here is just you know, think it back again when you were younger. Is there a book that's yeah. out there that you wish you would have read when you were a young leader, or that you would recommend to a young leader right now? Can I can I have three, or do you want to make me do one? <laughs> you can have three.
1: I'll I what, I'll rank them that way. Right. Um, there you I'm Doing your question and uh (laughs) classic lead pastor um see the problem i have now (laughs) all right number one because it will serve your family and your church would be pete scazzaro's emotionally healthy spiritual leader Mm -hmm. man i've read that book at least five times and we'll read it again because it's almost like a workbook for me your church your family and just you you need to be healthy and especially for church planters but I would say most leaders man there's a drive that you have that's really good without it nothing gets done but that drive can blind you numb you to what's going on down in your heart with the experiences that you're going through and so that book is very powerful one that I wish would have been out that just wasn't out when I got started was Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp Um, this is like Richard Baxter uh the reform pastor if that this is like the modern day version of that so if you want to just take a you know just beating in the face read richard pa- uh, baxter's reform pastor i feel like Trip has just a little more grace than he does uh, in there but it still gives you that sobering like hey this is what you're getting into uh, and then the last one sung su's art of war For sure. It's short. It is written, of course, by an ancient military general, but man, is it a great leadership book. So Mm -hmm. those would be a teach you how to fight the right battles at the right time. So those would be my three. All right. What was your
0: biggest misconception as a young leader?
1: I think the biggest misconception is I was um, as a young leader kind of looking ahead to where I would be. Is that I thought the, the first chair, you know, that lead lead chair that's where all the fun is like man i can't wait to get to that spot so in ministry that would be lead pastor right Mm. i can't wait to get there because that's where all the fun is in reality that's where all the weight is it is fulfilling but in general, I what I feel a lot of the time is I feel the weight and my family feels the weight. Now I give that, my spiritual discipline is to give that to the Lord. It's one of the most important ones that the lead pastors continue to give his church back to him. So I, I didn't get the lead chair until I was 32 years old and I'm very grateful for that. I don't think I could have handled it before then, for again, for me. But man, that's a big one that I'd say is, um, I just thought, oh, that's where you get to have fun. And that's where you actually get a pretty big mantle. I think another one, man, uh, biggest misconception I have was that my ideas would be enough. Like if, if I just had good ideas, that'd be enough. Now look, ideas are important. Vision's important, but relationships matter. (laughs) You will not get far just on an idea. Um, especially again especially in ministry you're not going to get far as a leader unless you're a servant leader unless you're caring for unless you're a shepherd right a shepherd that just has an idea about where a sheep should go uh, it's not going to work you got to be there among them caring for them and have a lot of humility and be with them Uh, relationships are king and I think uh, I'm like a, a leader who also loves the creative space It's like, I wish, I mean, I have no musical talent whatsoever and I just envy them all the time. I can't draw anything other than stick figures and I envy artists and stuff. Words, I guess, are my like creative outlet. So I want to be creative and I just think, man, here's a great idea. And, you know, the the joke that pastors say all the time is your ministry strategy is perfect right up until the point you put people into it. And then it's a hot mess uh, because people are sinners and you better get ready for pastoring sinners. Right. I mean, that goes back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself said, don't idealize the church more than Jesus did. Jesus made plenty of expectations for sinners and how he built the church. And you should as well. So ideas are good, but they're not enough. That's that's a
0: good word. All right. Let's move to the quick hitter questions here. There's going to be short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office,
1: all that good stuff? Go to bed, 10 o'clock, wake up, 5.30, exercise, then into my time with the Lord. From that point on, I kind of follow my family's rhythm. So if we're in school, I'm actually in the office as soon as they leave for school. When I say office, I'm finding I do actually my best brain work, thinking work in my office. Or I say office uh, at my house, I sort of work from my house in a kind of makeshift office like we all got um, after COVID or during <laughs> so that's where I do my best thinking work Um, and I'm in the office that way I don't have to deal with traffic in Charlotte and I'm probably not in the office Um, only I'm only in the office for a couple of days about half the week and that's for meetings and stuff like that but I'm pretty much secluded until noon doing my thinking work and then I have lunches and meetings in the afternoon Um, and then family time from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. man that's me and my family and uh, we will not schedule i have only one meeting that is on the books for some for that window and that's our monthly elder meeting outside of that ain't nothing getting in there
2: what um what is one of your best productivity tips productivity
1: tips there's a book out there called deep work and i think we have we need that book desperately i want to say it's cal newport deep work man best productivity tip i can give you is schedule time Significant chunks of time where you have no distraction. Got to get off the best thing I did during a sabbatical that's stayed with me. Man, I'm just not on social media that much. I'm slowly, I, Twitter's gone from my life and I feel like I am a Twitter free. It's like one year Twitter sober or something like that. That's what I feel like right now. It's fantastic. But back then i would say now, uh, whatever it is. That's right. What, whatever it is, man, create space where you can do some deep thinking and probably even read that book to help give you a window for that. So deep thinking, very important for me. I have blocks that are like four hours minimum, not like I'm gonna try to do this in an hour when it comes to the deep thinking work, you know, mm-hmm. so block your time. And I do my deep thinking work in the mornings because that's when my brain is up firing man, 6am uh, by the time I'm done, like exercising, I'm, I'm doing some of my best thinking. Right then,
0: What is an unusual habit that helps you in your
1: leadership? I don't know if this is unusual but it is very helpful. Um, In my tribe, it's not unusual. I review my sermons every Wednesday with my handful of my staff team and I let them critique it and tear it down. Tell me what's wrong with it, where it can get better so that a better sermon will be the one that's delivered on Sunday. The reason it helps me is if I am not above critical feedback as the lead leader, then nobody else can be above. Of critical feedback in their ministry and their work. So I don't know how unusual that is, you know, it's not like, I don't know, I don't drink like a Red Bull in my coffee every morning at five in order to take my thing. I don't know, somewhere to have it like that. But yeah. um, I have found the more I talk with people outside of my tribe, when I say that, I mean the, the Summit Collaborative, just kind of where I, I grew up. And I got that from JD, he used to do that with us. And so I, I do that. But most guys I know don't have that practice. And so, that's the Wednesday
0: before you preach it, correct? Yeah. So Wednesday when, okay, before I preach so, it. So probably I'll I'll I'll, I'll speak for some uh, pastors. Probably they're about the they Wednesday ask before to the same you thing. preach. <laughs> I mean Saturday, I'm yeah. I'm getting done Saturday evening. So man, what is your rhythm to be able to get yeah. your sermon to the point where others can review it on Wednesday?
1: Okay. Yeah. So my um and by the way, just to give everybody a lot of grace, I'm talking about a good week. Okay. So this is the plan and. And stuff happens and you don't always hit your goals, okay? So uh, on a good week, on Friday, uh, the week, so we'll start with Friday. On Friday, I'm working on the sermon that's coming, not that Sunday, but the following Sunday, okay? So I'm, I'm beginning laying the groundwork for that. And then I take Monday, I preach Sunday, but I take Monday off. And then all day Tuesday, I am going back over my notes from Friday, usually Friday mornings notes. I'm going over that and then I'm writing. Tuesday, you're not going to see meetings on my calendar anywhere. Deep work, writing day. I'm writing the sermon on Tuesday so that on Wednesday morning, and now it's Wednesday afternoon. I've kind of blocked off even more my mornings on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, I'm doing sermon review. So my prep for my sermon prep, I guess, is about 10 days out right now for that. I wish it was further out because I keep seeing benefit. Um, I will say I preach inside of a series. You know, we're sitting here you and we're talking here towards the end of July and I will I'm almost done with my twenty twenty four calendaring for all of our sermons. Like what's gonna and I'll have that by early, early August, I'll have that done so that I can give that to my team. So we know what's going to happen over the course of the year. Now, every year I'm trying to get a little bit better at that. Okay. So for anybody listening to this going, that seems crazy. I agree. It was a huge real dream fantasy of mine a few years ago. And each year I've tried to get a little bit better at this because I've seen the value of predictability for my team in terms of what we're preaching. So knowing what series we're going to be in, what books in the Bible, uh, it's been a huge help to our team. So yeah, that's what I try and do, try and start on the Friday before, four. And then, um, really do all my hard work on Tuesday, uh, so that I can come in Wednesday ready for, and I try to get about 75%. So if I've got a 75% done sermon, that's what we can go through. And yep. then I, I tweak and everything else on the Thursday and then maybe on the Friday afternoon before I'm going to preach on, a, on Sunday.
2: That is first off, let me just say that's amazing. And I'm sure your staff and and volunteers and leaders love <laughs> that you do that. And it also probably just goes back to show earlier in the conversation where you have equipped the saints for the work of ministry and, and given away responsibilities so that you can focus on, you know, some of those things that only you can really lead out from, which is yep. awesome. So next question on our quick hitters is what is your favorite app on your phone right now?
1: My favorite app
2: right now is my all trails app. You guys know this
1: app? Oh yeah. This is like, I'm going hiking and I'm taking, some, it's probably my family's least favorite app on my phone <laughs> <laughs> um, because they're like, what are you doing? Uh, where are you taking us? So we went up to the mountains of North Carolina for 10 days recently and or uh, maybe a week. And, you know, I'm like, all right guys, here's where we're going. It's only, you know, five miles round trip. And my nine year old's like, that sounds great. And my wife's like, she's going to die. You know, so um, she doesn't understand miles. Yeah. She doesn't understand it at all. <laughs> I love it. Um, so that is, uh, it might be my favorite. And probably my, uh, you know, my sons, they love it cause they're teenagers. They love it. But, um, yeah, so that one, um, honestly, my notes app, I've learned the power. I use, uh, Apple using iPhone. I've learned the power of the notes app and it is, um, it's remark. It's like Evernote. Uh, it's just as powerful. I feel like as Evernote. So mm-hmm. that's another one. And and then my, you need a budget app that we track our family. Why NAB? Why NAB? That's there right. You go. That's great. Yeah. I'm gonna throw a phone in here.
0: Is Bryce Young gonna be the franchise quarterback? For it? <laughs> make make a bold statement.
1: Yes. Okay. He is the next Drew Brees. Woo! There it is. You heard it here first. (laughs) Bryce Young is the next Drew Brees. He's a short guy that can command the field, can command all the attention surrounding a program, and lead people. Bryce Young, franchise quarterback, best one since Cam Newton. But he's going to take us over the finish line to the Super Bowl. Let's go. Love it. Luke Kickley's coming back out of retirement. (laughs) (laughs) I love these bold
0: predictions. It's great. (laughs) Let's get back on the rails here. Second to last question. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months?
1: Most important book um, has got to be Carl Truman's The Rise of the Postmodern Self. I think everybody, every leader uh, needs to understand the content that he delivers in that book. So, you know, he may may not be his book, but I would say read his book to understand how we got to a place where the conversations that are swirling around that are very volatile around gender identity and just identity in, in general. He does a fantastic job laying out how we got here and how do we walk forward. Uh, so that would be probably my number one. Hey, you need to check this out in terms of a fun one, culture code. And I'm blanking on who wrote culture code. Oh man. It's a little bit of an older one. It's not like new out this year or anything, but a fantastic, just tons and tons of case studies on how a group establishes a really healthy culture uh, with one another, really tight knit
2: culture with one another. It's a ton of fun. Last question for you today is what is one sentence of advice that you you would give to somebody going into a leadership position for the very first time? My grandfather, Al Shelton, we called him Pop.
1: He used to say, and he was just quoting an old proverb, doing it his way, God has given you two ears and one mouth. So you need to listen twice as much as you speak. Young leader, that'd be my encouragement to you. Listen twice as much as you speak. Um, Be humble, teachable, listen and learn and then speak as the Lord leads, Uh, but be quick to listen, slow to speak.
0: Well, Spence, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, please head on over to wherever you're listening, leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast and we'll see you next time.